Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Ethan Suplee. Welcome to American Glutton. Outside of acting, my two favorite things to do are diet and eat. I have a very complicated relationship with food, and on this podcast, we're going to talk about all of it. Food as entertainment. Food as sport. Food as fuel. I'll talk to experts and the average person, just like you and me. I hate to ask you to do anything, but if you're enjoying the show, please take a moment to like, subscribe, rate, review, all of the above on whatever app you're getting it from. American Glutton is brought to you by Trifecta. Maintenance has been the most important aspect of weight loss for me, and nothing has helped me more in that department than Trifecta. Visit trifecta.com today to find out why they're the best at what they do. My guest today is Trey Pinella. I had the pleasure of working with Trey on a movie called Dog, which is out in theaters now. Trey is a former private military contractor and special operations veteran, and now he is a personal trainer in the San Diego area, and he specializes in women's derrieres. Trey Pinello, welcome to the American Glutton Podcast. Hey, Ethan. Thanks for having me. Thanks for doing this, dude. Yeah, we, absolutely. We, we worked on a movie called Dog, which is... At this when when this comes out on Monday, dog is out. People should go see dog. Mm -hmm. But I re I wanted to talk to you about fitness and stuff because you're deep in that space. I am deep in that space. It's been a big part of my life, and um, actually being a dog handler, we can get obviously get more into that. Uh, fitness has always been intertwined with what I've been doing professionally and my passion. So um, it's been an amazing journey, honestly. And I, I saw a picture of you on Instagram at 12 years old. You were a chubby kid. Oh, I was. Yeah, I was. I was thick. I was a thick boy. Um, OK, I, th I think thick is the way I think thick is like the the very I don't know. My kids sometimes tell me people say I'm thick and, and I'm like, am I? Is that an insult? Is that not an insult? But that's like the nice way to say it, it right? Does. 
you know what? I was I was overweight. I was overweight. Uh, I was born in Virginia, and my parents believed in buying thirty racks of Mountain Dew and uh, macaroni and cheese and hot dogs was a common dinner. Um, and then until I moved to Colorado when I was like five, six, I still had that diet. And I was like, oh, this is a fit state. I can't be eating like this. Um, but yeah, I was a I was a pretty thick kid. Uh, so thick when um, I was actually when I played football. They wear maybe wear passes on the un- my uniform, so I wasn't allowed to carry the football. Um, I was too big. They wouldn't allow me to carry the football when I was younger. Meaning, like if you were like in the game, what does that mean? Like you you can't have the football because you're too hard to tackle because you're yeah. large. Yeah. Oh, okay. Wow. So welcome, welcome to probably California, Colorado, New York rules. We're like, oh, that kid weighs this. He's a uh, 110 pounds and he's nine <laughs> years old. <laughs> He's not allowed to carry the football. Let's mark him. Let's put these giant white circle patches on his shoulders so everybody knows that that guy's not allowed to carry the ball. But you're allowed to tackle people. I was allowed to tackle people, correct. I feel like, I feel like honestly, it should have gone the other way. Like you should have been the one carrying the football, but not allowed to tackle people. Yeah, you know what? I that 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 makes a little more sense. What doesn't make sense is that I didn't stay the big kid. And so I played youth football for like 10 years. Once I got to high school, I lost a lot of weight and I was not that kid anymore. And I was like, oh, I don't know how to play anything besides offensive line, but I'm still 120 pounds because that didn't change. It got taller and leaner. And that pretty much uh, ended my football career just because that start. Yeah. Did your di- did your diet change in that time? Did you become like uh, thoughtful about nutrition? So here's the crazy part, Ethan. Is uh, my mom actually competed in bodybuilding and was in very in health and fitness. So it's kind of confusing why she started me off at a young age about that diet. She claimed she always knew I was going to just grow into it. Right? Um, <laughs> I don't appreciate that at this age, uh, but. She's like, oh, you'll just grow into it. And yeah, when I got to high school, I was like, when I was going into high school, I was like, dude, I don't want to be the chubby kid who can't carry the football anymore. So honestly, I just was like, um, I just started skateboarding all the time, just started being more active, stopped chugging two Mountain Dews with every meal. Um, And I started just at a younger age, being like, this is something I can change now. Um, rather than just continue this going into being an adult. Yeah. I mean, that look, that's amazing. I I, I sit and think about all of uh, this stuff, and especially on the macro, like the whole country and, and what nutrition looks like. And I do think for a lot of people, soda is how they hydrate, you know? And and like, I, I go... Um, is that something that they're making a real conscious choice of like, like a smoker, if there is a person smoking today and I got to be honest with you, I don't smoke, but I'm often envious of people smoking cigarettes. I don't think the same kind of rationale is going into soda because we haven't gotten that big um, black box, black box warning. Like, look, if you, if you overdo this, there are these negative consequences. Right. Where's the Surgeon General warning at on the sodas and everything? Right. They still, you still can get the 64 ounce big gulps at 7 Eleven and stuff and drink them all day. Um, yeah. And I mean, just as far as education wise, I mean, 
there was nothing there. I don't know if there currently is, but growing up, there was no education on it. Um, my education was, I got picked on. Um, that was my education about eating better is that I didn't want to get picked on anymore. I wanted to be, Hey, I wanted I want the girls to be into me. I started to come of age. It's like, I want, I want the girls to be into me. They're definitely not into this. So that was my education on soda and fast food was high, was uh, middle school, elementary school bullies. Um, and I think, yeah, we haven't had that black box of surgeon general warning on it. And we honestly, I don't think I have a lot of true education on it um, when we're younger. Yeah, I guess it's I guess it falls into like there's such weird nuanced technicalities like the clinical definition of addiction. Um, I don't think it's possible to become uh, addicted to sugar in in those terms. I think you can overdo something compulsively and but like how they define uh, addiction with um, nicotine is yeah. very different than how they define addiction with sugar. So I don't know that we ever get there. However, a lot of people die from heart disease in America. Uh, heart disease is obviously yeah. tied to obesity. And then if you look at the standard diet, it, I think there is a lot of Mountain Dew being drunk. So it's it, I, like I wouldn't. I would not be offended by a Surgeon General's warning on soda. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be either. But uh, would that necessarily change anything? Um, I don't know. I think people. I think it's not an addiction, like you said, like with cigarettes and with other things. I think it's just habitual that you you get. Like for me, I had it growing up, so that's just what I drank with every meal, and I just had the mentality of I didn't want to like physically look like this and i wanted to feel like all the cool kids popular kids kids who were getting girls um that's what i kind of like that was my uh you know warning or heads up of how to change my diet but a lot of people don't think like that right um and i don't i don't think i think it just becomes habitual and you take that on to your adult life and it just becomes an unhealthy habit that you're just used to doing and um, just something as simple as cutting out soda can make a huge difference in your, in, in your health. And, uh, I really just think it's just people aren't very educated on it. And I think it does come from your childhood and just carry on into your adulthood is like your health habits. Right. And it's much easier to develop health habits when you're younger to carry on to when you're older than trying to change them after two, three, four decades of doing it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the, that's the key. It's also it's also really strange because um, when we're talking about little, little kids, that is the point where like adults have utter control. Right. right. Like, where they're not making decisions on their own. No baby is drinking Mountain Dew, all, yeah. you know, without a parent actually giving figuring out how to give it to them. Um so that is really the way. So by the time, so you were in the military, by the time you got to the military, you were an athlete and there was no, like, I got a crash diet to get through PT or anything like that. Right. No. So, I mean, I started like serious lifting and prepping. So I always backtrack a little bit. So I always thought I would probably go into the military. So school wasn't like a huge thing for me. I was like, I'm not going to college. Um, all school was for me is preparation for college. So I didn't really care about that. So I really started getting into fitness when i was like 16 17 hitting the gym um because i knew that's what i ended up wanting to do right We're right around 18 going to the military but i want to be prepared 
Um, my I was born in Virginia Beach, so my godfather and a lot of family friends, Navy SEALs, SEAL Team Six guys. So I always knew like that's kind of like the route, like I want to go some sort of special operations. Um, and sad news for me, can't swim very well, so Navy SEAL was kind of out for me. So I did a lot of research and I found Ranger, which is what I was in the military and what uh, uh, the movie Dog is kind of based off of uh, is, is Ranger Regiment and the, the Rangers. Um, and I realized that I can't, I have to be top level physical fitness. And for a while, when I started really getting serious, all my education was, was going to the gym and watching guys who have good physiques. They, they look good, but I didn't know exactly what I was doing. YouTube wasn't huge in 2006 and stuff like that. So 2005, it wasn't really even a thing. So I really just, my, my education on it was going and looking at physiques. And I got into like bodybuilding regiments, which, you know, going into the military wasn't exactly what you want to do. Um, but I, you know, when I got there, I was, I, I, when I, when I enlisted, went in, I realized that at least I was more physically fit and prepared mentally and physically um, for the challenges ahead, just, just based upon the mentality I had going in. Yeah. I think about that, that what you're talking about there aspect a lot, because I currently uh, work out basically like a bodybuilder. I, that's, that's the way I just really enjoy it. I like taxing one big muscle group at a time and then letting it recover and taxing it a little bit harder. Um, but for something like the military, for real world application, if you're going to be active like that, is CrossFit a better go to? Like I, for me, CrossFit's not good because I'm an old man who. <laughs> weighed way too much for way too long. So I have knee problems and feet right. problems and lower, but so CrossFit for me is like just injury central, but for a young person, is that the style of workout that you would say? Like if you're going into the military, do X. Yeah. So young people, this is the thing with CrossFit, like you said, injury prone. A lot of CrossFit is the most dangerous movements you can do as fast as you can do them as heaviest way you can do them. So young people inexperienced people, people who haven't practiced form for years and years, I would say no, right. That's not um, the biggest thing, cardio and carrying heavy weight. Cause in the end of the day, that's what you're going to be doing. Um, you're going to be moving a lot of weight over a lot of distance. You're going to be carrying, uh, you can carry casualties, anything like that. So really CrossFit, at a younger age, no, just because of the injury prone thing. My big, my big thing was cardio and putting something heavy on your back and moving it. So, um, pretty, pretty, uh, uh, far from, you know, your conventional styles of training. Like you do a little bit of that in CrossFit with like sled drags and stuff like that, which is beneficial, but really prepping yourself for a special operations kind of unit is unlike any other uh, other training you should be doing, right? It, it's not conventional by any means. Um, even supplementing some weeks of bodybuilding to build up strength of individual muscle groups is beneficial. Um, your shoulders, your back, your legs, and really targeting it. But then also not getting to the point where you're putting on too much size that it affects your cardio. So it's, a really, it's really about balance of cardio and just overall strength and stamina and endurance, more so than it is like, uh, a strict set of like style of uh, training you would like to do. Yeah. I ha I have a buddy who was in uh, the teams and he, 
said he got through buds and then went on this get big quick workout scheme and got he said he got fucking gigantic and then went out and deployed and was like this is useless all this size sucks it sucks sucks. now all the stuff i have to carry plus myself yeah and he 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 said he never he just he see when he's like does a lot of rucking now yeah Um, that's right yeah go ruck is a cool thing and you can throw a kettlebell or they make these weird weights that strap in there and you throw it on your back. I like doing that, but there are often times where I get super defeated feeling because I'll put like a a 35 pound weight in my backpack and get utterly exhausted on a short walk and go like, dude, at one point I was carrying around 250 extra pounds and I don't remember being this tired, like just gassed out. Yeah, I mean, you pick 35. So 35 pounds is the standard uh, ruck weight dry, not including water and other stuff you'll carry for all of your uh, um, your ruck uh, events in the military. That, that's what you, know, you do, like a 12-mile ruck. You have to do within three hours to be a ranger, and it's 35 pounds and then not including water. So, so it ends up getting up to around 50, 60 pounds. But to be honest, nothing, not even carrying around body weight, prepares you for carrying it on your back other than actually doing it, yeah. right? And it's something that doesn't stay with you. If I try to throw in a 35, 45-pound ruck right now and do 12 miles and oh uh, my, my knees would be like, no, and my back would be like, no, and I'd feel defeated, and I'd be like, wow, dude, you've had better days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's amazing. And, and in the Rangers, you worked with dogs? Yeah, so how it works um, – is you you go through basic training, AIT, airborne school. Um, then you go to RASP or RIP, depending on the time frame you're in, which is a ranger selection process. Um, and then after that, you get assigned to one of the three ranger battalions. Um, I went to the first ranger back. And from there, you're a brand new guy. Um, you get, at least in my day, you get, you, get, you get treated pretty poorly, kind of like, you know, I don't want to say hazing because that's a, that's not a thing the military does and you can say anymore. But <laughs> a rite of passage, right? A rite of passage. You get initiated. Yeah, you get initiated. That's that's the that, we'll go with it being initiated. And you do that. And in my time when Afghanistan and stuff was still going on, um, how it works is you have a seven month training cycle, two weeks of like leave or vacation before and after. And then around a four-month deployment, um, the combat deployment. Uh, so you pretty much, when you get there, you have to do a full training cycle deployment. They, they test you. You might not go on any missions at deployment. Um, and just prove yourself uh, to your platoon, to your unit. And then they send you to ranger school. Um, and ranger school is, a, is a, a conventional military school. It's a leadership school that anybody in the military can go. But because it's called ranger school, Rangers have to go and they they're expected to be top of their class, go, go straight through, hopefully, and, and go back to their, go back to their uh, battalion uh, with Ranger qualified. At that point, you do a few more rotations, training cycle deployment, um, and then you get the ability to go to, to choose a specialty skill set. Um, so there's a couple specialty skill sets, one being sniper, one being canine or dog. And you can either choose to still be an operator shooter, or you can, you know, request to go to one of these, one of these specialty skill sets. And which is, which is sometimes pretty hard to do because it's very few. 
Um, I think at the time when I went to be, wanted to be a dog handler, we were about 12 to 16 dog handlers. That's it. Um, so very small community and very hard to get into. So I just re-enlisted and say, hey, if you want, I want to be a, uh, if you want me still in the unit, I'll re-enlist, but I have to go canine. So that's what I did. And then from there, you go to your handler's course, you get assigned a canine, um, and then you do a training cycle deployment, training cycle deployment with, as a dog handler. And does that then add a whole other layer of uh, physical necessity? Like whatever <laughs> you're prepared for initially, you're prepared for, and now, you've, now you're dealing with a dog. Yeah. So add a dog is also, so add a dog into the mix. So if you, if you had to prep for like, so we mainly did missions going out at night, right? Uh, special operations really targeted uh, specific individuals, uh, go out at night, killer capture, return home. So everything was done on a night vision. Um, adding a, and sometimes you'd have to prepare to stay over day or a rod. So, Adding a dog under night and then all the stuff you have to make sure you have in case you're staying out there all night, not only for yourself, but for a dog, you, you add a lot more weight, you add a lot more um, uh, responsibility, and you add a lot more frustration because you add a dog to the mix who isn't a person. If they're uncomfortable, don't like something, you know, um, you, you can't really tell them to suck it up. No, exactly. So, and then there is a physical aspect to it, right? So part of the dog handling course is, you have to go through obstacle courses with the dog on your back. You have to attach them. You have to attach the your your leash, your long lead, uh, thirty foot lead to your dog's vest. Hoist them up over things. Put them on your back. Camera across obstacles. Because the reality of it is, if that dog gets shot, injured, or anything like that, that's your responsibility to carry your own equipment, everything you're responsible for, plus the canine off target, right? So there, it does add a whole new new dynamic to it and a whole new uh, responsibility. A story with that is one mission I was on. Uh, it was northern Afghanistan at night, of course, like pretty, pretty deep snow, about up to the knees. And we're on our way to the objective. And there was a creek, a pretty, probably about four feet, five feet wide creek, but it hadn't frozen over. Um, but I couldn't let my dog go through it and get completely soaking wet. And then we could be out there eight, nine, 10 hours. And have my dog like you know in trouble um frostbite or anything like that so i had to grab him and jump across the creek the issue with that is i didn't consider everything else i was carrying i, I was physically able to do that but my knee cut my uh cot onto my magazine well butt stock into my mouth and almost knocked on my front teeth and you can't see because my mustache but I split my lip wide open and still had to be on the mission for the rest of the night so you're adding a whole nother dynamic of just, like I said, frustration and physical components to that job. Did they give you stitches in your face in the field? No, I had to, I, I just rocked it until I got back. Wow. Jesus. Yeah. That is intense, dude. Yeah. And I still had to be responsible for my job, which is making sure leading, leading up front, making sure there's no explosives or anything or a dog setting off an ambush or anything like that. That's why the dog's always up front. So I still, after that, had a responsibility for the entire night. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Do you ever find that the broader social media platforms are a little bit impersonal? Well, I do too. Sometimes it's hard to cut through all the noise on them. So we've started a Patreon. 
And it's got all the normal things a Patreon podcast typically has, like bonus ad-free and video episodes. But the part I'm loving the most is the American Glutton Discord channel, which is only available through Patreon. If you want to chat about diets or recipes, workout routines or motivation, it's all happening there. So search up American Glutton on Patreon to join the community today. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. And when did you come back to bodybuilding or physique or, or, or that? Was that after the military? Yeah, because, right. Because obviously, like you, you, you said, you're, you're one of your friends told you, putting on a bunch of sizes is not advantageous for the job, right? Um, so I was, I was sitting around 200, 210 pounds the majority of my military career. Um, I got really into building my physique starting about a year, a year and a half after I got out. Mind you, when I got out of the military, about four months later, I signed a contract with Raytheon and went right back and lived in Afghanistan for two years. Um, I lived in Afghanistan for two years uh, out of a shipping container and I trained um, and ran the Afghan Special Forces Selection. Um, And with that, I being over there training them, I still focus a lot of my training around um, physical performance rather than bodybuilding and physique building. But right towards the end, when I when I started to phase out from wanting to be in that kind of career field anymore, is really when I started to focus on uh, more of a bodybuilding mindset. So you were still over there, and you began doing that. Yeah, this is probably 2017. Um, yeah, when I was just like, you know what, I'm tired of just doing running, carrying heavy shit and everything like that. I want to like build a physique because I like my my appearance, my well, what I want to look like. This is not what I want to look like. Like I look good. I'm in shape, but I want to really see if I can push my body to a limit and kind of like 
you can never really perfect your body if bodybuilding, but kind of take it to the next level of just what can I look like? What can I build? How can I just be better all around? You know, the other art, not really argument, but when I talk to um, obese people who are starting to go into the gym or anything like that. And, and my, the really the, the reason I've settled with that type of workout and enjoy that type of workout is one in a caloric deficit, you're going to retain a bunch of muscle mass. You're not, you know, unless you're on some kind of crazy diet, but mostly the intent is to be able to cut fat and retain muscle. So that's great. But number two is having done a bunch of different types of exercise, the soreness I get from lifting weights in the way that I do is just muscular soreness. I never have knee pain. I never have lower back pain. I'm not, you know, I've done some 5Ks and my knees are then shot for a week. And uh, I've done box jumps in CrossFit and my knees are shot. And, and with this kind of lifting, I find like I, I, I like the muscle soreness but it's not like it doesn't feel like an injury the way my knees sometimes feel sore. You, you know, does that make sense? No, that makes complete sense. I couldn't agree more. I've had multiple knee surgeries. I've torn my pack and stuff doing the more of the performance style training. I def I like the soreness, right? Uh, I, I tell, I tell a lot of my clients um, now, like when they tell, because you, you, I always get the comment, Oh, you probably don't get sore anymore. You work out all the time. I'm like, every single day, some part on me is sore. And I like it, right? It, it, it's like a little badge of achievement that you share with yourself, um, which which you don't really get with a lot of other styles of training, especially like CrossFit and everything, where your badge of honor might be like your elbow and knee hurt for like three weeks after you did a bunch of, you know, snatches, right? Um, so bodybuilding, I just like the, I like the style. I like the way it makes you feel. Um but it's very, if you do it correctly, it's very humbling, um, very humbling going from, oh, I'm, for me at least, oh, I'm a badass, my, like, I can do all this other stuff, to bodybuilding where it's like, no, you're going to grab the 15-pound weight, you're going to concentrate on your bicep, you're not grabbing the 45s, and it, it hurts worse than a 15, 20-pound weight more than a 50-pound weight has ever done. Because the style of training, the mind and muscle connection you're doing, um, it, it, it's a humbling, humbling experience, which I, I didn't realize until I got myself a coach. And he, 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 he humbled me greatly. Eddie Brockermontes, he's a professional bodybuilder. And he humbled me greatly uh, with showing me this is a completely different style of training and lifestyle. Um, and yeah, you're not the baddest man in the gym anymore. You're starting from pretty much from scratch with this style of training. Yeah, I've had comments in the gym where a guy said to me not long ago, like, do you ever work out hard? And I was like, motherfucker, I work out hard every single day, six days a week. What are you talking about? And he's like, no, but I mean, like, you're not really lifting heavy. And I said, yeah, no, I, I don't ever lift heavy because I don't need to one. And number two, like if I hurt myself lifting heavy, I'm done. And that's a disaster. Right. 
Yeah, nothing worse than getting injured and like stopping training at this point. My immediate body morphia goes into uh, goes into play. Just morphia goes into play, and I miss two, three days from the gym because I, you know, mess something up, and I'm immediately like, "Oh well, I'm done. I'm backtracked months now." You know, I I, <laughs> I said where it's 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 you have to keep it going, and, and injury is not acceptable. I mean, I do like to live heavy, especially on legs. Um, but it's very, very long process, warm up, warm up, taking easy and gradually getting up into the higher, higher weights um, just to avoid injury. Because injury, like you said, catastrophic, not just to physique, but to your mindset, at least for me. Yeah, no, me too. If I, it, there's, it's not that I'm scared. It's just like, if I can, if I can avoid that, like the, the, the repercussions from it are so severe, I'm going to avoid that at all costs. Yeah, exactly. The, the, the benefit of uh, of just ego lifting is it's not there, right? And you you see that a lot, um, especially in the bodybuilding community. You think, oh, big guy, he, uh, he lifts the heaviest weight in the world. He's like, no, he concentrates proper form, uh, mind and muscle connection and isolation and avoids injury and avoids doing the crazy stuff like when I first started off lifting. Yeah. I have a question about when you started in Afghanistan, was it easy to eat the way you needed to eat? Are you talking about deployments in general or like when I moved over there for contracting? Well, I mean, on, on deployments, if you're not trying, like just the amount of protein I have to eat every day and, right. and making sure that it's leanish protein, right? That's hard. Like, when my wife wants to go out to dinner, I'm kind of like, uh, okay, well, just make sure it's a restaurant where I know I can get something to eat at, right? Like, I can't just, I just don't mindlessly do this. But when it's all up to some other organization to feed yeah. you, is it, I mean, I guess if you're in the military, they want you to be pretty fit. You would think that, right? Okay. So i give you a couple things. Um, my military experience being special operations can be very different than a lot of people who might be listening in the military, conventional military units and stuff like that. Um, I ate very well. Our chow hall on the, you know, our uh, um, compounds overseas, we, we got, it was over 24 seven, every meal, chicken breasts, there's steaks. There's like, I ate well. And if you wanted food, you can take to-go plates, whatever you want, unlimited. Um, a lot of the conventional military does not get that option, especially overseas. They're limited to one protein source, one carb, blah, blah. And it's funny, what they're unlimited access to is sweets, which is kind of crazy. They have unlimited access to sweets. Uh, but, you know, budgeting-wise, you get one of this, one of this, one of this. And of course, you get packages sent over with protein powder and stuff like that. But as far as my military experience is I got to eat whatever I wanted when I was over there. And it was pretty lean, uh, which is the benefit of obviously being one of the benefits of being special operations. And I ate probably leaner and better when I was deployed than when I was back home in the States. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, there's no, there's no, you're not going to the bars. You're not going to restaurants. You're not going, there's none of that outside influences. All right. Well, I have, these options, there's always chicken breast, there's always a good source of protein. 
always rice, always stuff that you need, uh, your typical bodybuilding diet, your typical healthy diet. You have those options, at least I did. Um, and you don't have the outside influence of let's just go to a restaurant or screw it, let's just order food. No, you're there. And it was actually a time where you saw guys, guys' physiques really, really improve for that reason. Because honestly, a, a range of training cycle is super taxing and and you don't really get a lot of like personal social time. And so when you do, you get you get done with like a three-week training um uh like FTI an exercise, a three-week training exercise. And the last thing you want to do is sit there and just eat chicken breast and rice. You're like, I'm going to go to the bar. I'm going to drink my face off and I'm going to eat cheeseburgers. And, stuff. and then deployment comes and you get to kind of straighten that all up and not have the outside influence. So that's kind of how it was in uh, at least our community. Yeah. And, and wh- how long did it take when, when you, when you started to work with heavyweights on your back and just like that kind of movement? How, what was the adjustment time? Because I imagine your fuel, your extra, get putting in excess fuel for that just because it's new and your body's probably screaming for it. But did it take a long time to just get accustomed to that? Yeah. So going, yeah, the original, like going in, I mean, I, so I was, I was going from Colorado to Georgia. So the benefit of elevation change was very realistic. Um, And I noticed that with my cardio and performance. But the transition was it just it, everything I did was just so foreign and, and stuff I've never really done before. Um, and it just it's honestly to get used to it, it, it was so mental more than it was anything like physical performance. It was like this is going to be extremely uncomfortable. It's not going to feel good. But for me and a lot of other, there's just no other option to just not quit, right? No matter how it feels, no matter if it feels like your back's going to explode, your knee's going to explode, it's, for a lot of us, it's like, just do it and until you get good at it. Fake it until you make it almost. And that's kind of how it was. Like, I never rucked before I went in. You know, I trained, I did cardio, I did all this stuff. So the minute they're like, this is what you're doing. And I was like, um, okay. And to me at the time, it's like, oh. 35 pounds, 45, 55, 60 pounds. That doesn't seem like a lot, especially when you start off bodybuilding. Like, oh, I squat this, hundreds, all this stuff. This doesn't seem like to be that difficult. You move, you get a time frame of having to complete um, a movement with that on your back. And about two miles in, you're like, oh, this is horrible. And I've never prepared for anything like this before. And the only way to do it is to, is to actually rock and put weights on your back and move. Yeah, man. Fuck 12 hours, uh, 12 miles and three hours with 35 pounds. That's, uh, that sounds like and that's 35 pounds dry. So you're not including your water and everything like that. You're, you're pushing 50, 60 pounds at the end of it. Right. And with your weapon and everything else, that's just what your pack is. <laughs> oh my God. That's insane, dude. Yeah. Um, all right. So then you start, you start getting back into bodybuilding in Afghanistan. Yes. And, and at that point, you're not in the special forces mess hall. Was it hard to eat then? Okay. So I was, so I got, oh. I went over there. I was, uh, uh, you know, working directly with the guys I just left. Um, so the special forces, the Rangers seal community was still where I was at. Right. I was just it, it hired a civilian sector to kind of keep continuity year round. 
this is how this is how we run the selection for the for the Afghan special forces. This is how we do the train up. So they, that's why they went to uh, a civilian sector to kind of run that, so that as those four month deployments go on year round, they come in. It's like nothing changes. They're not starting anything up. It's it was a lot easier of a process than having a military guy there for four months running it and then gone and putting somebody else new, somebody who was there pretty much year round, so that as the military came in to help with the the training and the uh, the selection process that there was just continuity and there was, it was routine and it wasn't, but I, I got, I was still at the same child hall, still eating great and still at the best gym facility probably in the area. Cause that's something that they, they don't, they're not cheap with, right. They put a lot of money into making sure there's good equipment there for their guys to say fit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, if they've invested however much, I think it's a, it's a very expensive process in creating one of those type of operators, they want to, you know, yeah, depending on investments, so easy into the six figures, right? Easy. Yeah. And that's not even including the equipment and everything else. It's just the training, high six figures. If, you, if you're going through a full training cycle deployment and everything like that. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. In an attempt to create more of a community, we are branching out and taking our Q&A episodes and the American Glutton Social Club to Patreon. We're inviting you to join us on Patreon to have more interaction, less of me talking at you and more of me talking with you. The bonus content will start rolling out February 10th, but you don't have to wait. You can join today for extra episodes, discounts, and so much more like the Patreon only discord, which is already up and the conversations there have begun. So go find me at American Glutton on Patreon. Okay, so then you're done with that and you come back and and you're 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 a personal trainer now. Yeah, so that was so I realized that I like to train people, right? I was like, oh, I like training Afghans. I like I was starting to train um other service members when I was over there and I started really liking them. This is something I'm passionate about. Um, so I moved back to Colorado. I had a house in the suburbs, uh, and I was like, this is not where I want to be, the fitness industry. I knew that's what I wanted to get into. Um, this was, it wasn't really the community. It wasn't advantageous for, for building um, a coaching and personal training business. So I was like, Southern California, everybody likes to be fit there. But so me and uh, uh, the mother of my child, uh, we, not, we didn't have a child yet. This part of the story is we're like, let's downsize. Let's move to San Diego. Um, let's become personal trainers finish college, use my benefits to still go to college and just live that lifestyle. Month after we moved here, um, sold a big suburban house. Month after we moved here to a one-bedroom apartment, she got pregnant. Um, of course, it's how life works. Is like when you least expect anything to happen, that's when it happens. Um, but yeah, I got into the personal training um, field here and it's huge here, right? The fitness industry is huge in Southern California, LA, San Diego. It's very competitive. And I realized that I can't, just because of my background, I can't just start my own business. I don't know anybody out here. So what I did is I, uh, I found a commercial gym, a crunch fitness um, in Pacific Beach in San Diego. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to hustle as hard as I can and try to get as many clients as I can and, you know, eventually do my own thing. And that's what I did. I, I, I worked seven days a week for months, just nonstop trying to establish clients. And it wasn't the style of training I thought I was going to be doing. Um, let's just say there's not a whole lot of 
serious bodybuilding at a commercial gym like that, especially in Pacific Beach, if you're familiar with that in San Diego, I became the guy who just built women's butts. <laughs> that was, I went from. It's a very one. valuable thing. Yeah. It's a very valuable thing, right? When my friends come and visit me, they're like checking out girls. I just look at them and I say, you're welcome. And I'm like, you're right. Yeah. One of my clients, but it was this special operations, private military contracting, all this stuff. And then I'm in Pacific beach. 95% of my clients, women, I'm building butts all day, every day. And I'm like, Okay, so this is kind of like where I ended up, and which is nothing bad, right? I enjoy what I do, made a lot of good clients, had a lot of, got, made a lot of friends from it. But I realized that, you know, I got to pull some clients and I got to do more of what I really want to do. Um, so after about a year and a half, two years, about a year and a half at Crunch, I was like, this is my chance. Like, I have to go now. Like, I have clients, I can't wait forever. And I took my business to the gym. The name of the gym is the gym, which is annoying to tell people with, uh, that allows you to train out of the facility without having to pay them anything. So then I just brought all my clients there. I, I started reaching out online and uh, finding online clients, uh, mainly targeting people who wanted to be special operations. And I started to do bodybuilding and butt building in person. And then really branching out online to, you know, kids and guys who want to do special operations and doing online programming for them. Oh, that's really cool. I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. Is it, are you, are you do, are you having dudes, young dudes do a lot of rucking? Yes and no. Right. So, I mean, I guess, I guess the, the question to, to proceed that is, is that a big part of, um, the initial test physical testing that you have to go through just to get into those departments. Yeah. So to be in any special operation, you have to be good at wrestling, right? You have to be good at carrying heavy weight. I, if depending on the age and the experience level, of one of those clients is, is how I judge when I'm going to have them start doing it. I'm not going to tell a 16 year old kid, load up your backpack with 50 pounds weight and go move over like terrain, right? That's not, that's not going to be good for that person. They could get injured. So it is a process to get them to that point. I, I do, I, I built like a, a week long. Their first week is like a kind of an assessment. I sit down with them, have a consultation, give them their week long assessment, which is strength assessment, endurance, cardio, everything, kind of see where they're at and then build custom tailored week to week programs. So none of mine, nothing I do is like, oh, here's 12 weeks, run with it. Every single person is different. They're going to develop differently um, just based on experience, their physiques, their experience, everything. So each week I'll sit down on Sundays and I have Zoom meetings, Zoom consultations, get their numbers from how they did. And then that night, rebuild them in their following week and get them to that point. So some people can start rucking and everything within a, a month. Some people, I'm, I don't have to do that at all because their experience level is so little. They're, they're stabilizing muscles throughout their knees and uh, everything aren't built up yet. They're, they're starting from scratch. So it's a longer process. I'm with them like two, three months, and then we really can start getting into it. Because you, the, the, the biggest thing you don't want to happen is being ready mentally and pretty much physically and going into a selection and then getting hurt. 
when you can actually prepare better for that. So that's kind of what I do is a healthy way uh, for them to train for the longevity of their, you know, their careers that they want. Well, yeah. I mean, you also, you, you could have, you don't want to go into that exhausted either. Right. Like, like there's a whole lot to that. I, I want to ask if you had, if it, your ideal and, Obviously, I, I understand there's guys like um, Tiger Woods who trained to be a golfer from the time he was like two years old or something like that, whatever. Okay, but like not that. But if you had a young person, early teens, what amount of time would be ideal for you to set them up and, and not somebody who's battling something like obesity or, or already has the, the scale tipped in the opposite direction? But what how long would it be? for you that you would go like the ideal amount of time to prepare somebody for this is X. Okay. So let's just say a standard, like 17 year old kid, he's going into his spring semester of, of senior of high school. He's like, Hey, I want to join the military. I would realistically be set that out. Average kid, probably about, you know, four to six months of realistic time frame, And that's honestly, a lot of that big portion is, mental can you go through a six-month program and not there's a point where you give up you start lacking i see in your numbers that they start coming down what's happening outside influence because none of that stuff that all that stuff is still going to be factored into when you're in a selection so i also help with the mental component of that so kind of i would say average is like four to six months just because like i like assessing like is there going to be a give point where this person's like, all right, three months in, like, and their numbers start to go down. I can kind of tell like they're, they're not as motivated. Then it can take a little bit longer of a process just because you don't want that to happen when you go into a selection. So I'd say four months for the people who are like gung ho, let's do this and like fully committed and then upwards of six months for like the kids who are like, you know, they have, they get distracted, they get detours. They, they, they lose motivation. And that takes a little bit longer because I really got to try to also work with the mentality of it is that you can't, this can't happen while you're in. Right. Like, uh, stop. And even when you get to your special operations unit, it's a lot of times harder to stay in it because now you're, you're not just around the guys through a selection who are trying to get in. You're around the guys who completed it and are in and are the peak of their physical performance. And that's what you have to keep up with. So building that mentality is probably the hardest part. Say, so, oh, yeah, these kids go through these workouts, but I'll, I'll do stuff like mock hell week and stuff, um, like workouts that really just put mental stress on them. And then the next week, see how I give them another, give them a week that they had previously done and see if they're just unmotivated through it. And then kind of like have that as a talking point. It's like, listen, you you did great three weeks ago when you did this, these, these sets of exercises. And now you're not what happened the previous week that kind of defeat you. Cause obviously this is mental. It's not physical at this point. So it's like, it's a whole thing. And every single person is different and it's up to me to kind of monitor, you know, the numbers. I'm not just looking at strength and everything increase. Uh, if their strengths increase or their endurance is increasing, but really is their mindset ready? Cause at the end of the day, Ethan, that's what's going to get you through. It's not your physical fitness. It's your ability to just put your head down and keep moving no matter the, the physical exertion that you've, you put out. And, and, and look, I, I think we're talking about something that is really intense. And um, 
maybe just like an extreme version of like how one could think about life very hard very difficult takes a lot of focus takes a lot of mental fortitude and there's a physical component but i think that that this is uh a good simile for just anybody dealing with uh, weight loss or obesity or who struggled with that. There's going to be those aspects too. Like I'm thinking about a kid who's, who's wants to go into special operations, which to me is the most physically demanding thing I could ever comprehend. Um, and if the kid's like more interested in going to the movies or going to Coachella and can't get as well, like that might be something you have to think about. And likewise, if you've spent your life eating in a certain way and being immobile in a certain way, and you want to get out of that, it might take a little bit more mental fortitude than you're accustomed to giving. Right, exactly. And what's, what's kind of interesting that you bring that up is honestly, my the, the kids and the guys I've worked with who were he- who are heavy set started off heavy set and they like nine times out of ten are the ones I actually deal with the mental uh, strength loss the least like they they go into it they start seeing results fat loss wise with the end goal being special operations and they they hunker down like this is this is it this is not just helping me physically this is helping me mentally. Like I'm feeling more mentally confident. I'm being able to complete these things that this guy's giving me that into these intense things. I'm feeling better. I'm looking better. My mentality of like how I perceive myself is going up. So that's a, that's kind of a crazy correlation. I actually really haven't thought of until you just brought it up. But the kids that always like the, the more fit kids that kind of always had it like, you know, more or less like easier, you know, you know, whether that be more genetically inclined or just grew up with a healthier habits they're more likely three, four months into it to teeter off than the kids that, you know, the heavier set kids, the kids battling obesity. Um, and I, the, that's an interesting correlation you brought up because um, I didn't, I've never thought about it until now, but it's just, it's almost like they've, they've dealt with a lot of like physical hardships, which affect your mentality, just like being overweight, the stigma around it. And like they see this progress and they see an end goal of being this elite member of the military of uh, American society. And they're just like, you know what? I'm going to push through this. This is, this is helping me in so many other ways than I actually expected. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Gals, have you ever seen a professional bodybuilder at the gym? They almost always, and this is in fair or foul weather, come in wearing at least one sweatshirt. Usually the hood is pulled up, and oftentimes there's a towel crammed in there to keep even the slightest breeze off their necks. And when the sweatshirt comes off, watch out for the ubiquitous tank top underneath. Well, you know where you can get sweatshirts, gym towels, and tank tops? The American Glutton Store, that's where. And fellas, don't think we've left you out. We've got windbreakers for the real savages. Anyone working out in a windbreaker has unlocked legend status in my book. And if your feet get cold when you're wearing shoes, we've got socks too. Visit AmericanGlutton.net slash shop today and level up your gym game. That's AmericanGlutton.net slash shop. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, anecdotally, and I, I don't know 
all of the psychology um, connected to this. But uh, for me, I've done some diets, dude, where it's like literally 500 calories a day. As, as long as I'm seeing weight loss, I am fucking gung ho. I'm going to do it. You cannot stop me. But right. then once the weight loss is over, what am I? There's the motivation. That's that carrot or, or stick, whatever it is. This, this, this constant reward of weight loss is over now. And suddenly it's like, look, I know that Kit Kats are going to potentially make me gain weight, but I'm not losing weight now anyways. So all the bad habits start to come back. But I think when you have that momentum, especially for people with weight loss, just seeing that is an extra motivator. It's a, a huge extra motivator. And then like you're saying, um, when you've lost the weight and like, where's the motivation come from then? going back is like those kids are now like now special operations is for me i have one step after another this is what i want to do i come i got to my target weight i got to my i i'm passing all the physical expectations that they're going to be required for me in whatever special operations unit i want to go into now i got to get there so there's constant motivation and and, and that's why i really believe that that's why nine times out of ten and my clients who are battling with obesity and fat loss first and foremost are honestly just mentally doing a little bit better than the other people. Um, I think this is a constant, they're seeing constant goal after goal and like the more fit people that I have trained, they're just like, okay, I can do these. I can do these. This is getting harder. This is getting harder. Do I really want this? I'm not really seeing physical like gains at this point. It's kind of getting a little bit of a plateau state where I'm really, like I look the same. Yeah. My runtime's getting better, but who cares about that? And, and, and all those things they are not seeing like a huge physical change because with this style of training, you really don't see huge, huge physical uh, changes like you do in bodybuilding. So, but for somebody who has a lot of fat to lose cardio, moving heavyweight, all like carrying heavyweight, you see a fat loss quickly. Right. Um, so I think that's interesting. That, that 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 mentality and that seeing those results just carries them through and honestly um pretty pretty successful with my programs yeah i i personally am a a big um like the the idea that has co- kind of come to me later but when i think back through all of my failures i think that for the most part i just wasn't clear enough with myself about what my goals were so I I go like, I just need to lose weight. Like, right. That's the thought just need to lose weight and, and fine. That's maybe true, but I'm not thinking through my long-term goal of like keeping the weight off and what am I going to do? And what's my plan going to be? And am I thinking long-term? Whereas like, I think of a guy who's overweight, who wants to go into military, that's a feat in and of itself. And that's going to produce constant motivation. And then once they get there, the idea of staying in the military has some requirements too, but a guy who's lean and fit, who should be thinking, I need like the, the, the prime, the sub goals are, I'm going to increase my run. Like I need mm-hmm. to work towards that. Right. So that it becomes enough of a motivating factor right. to keep going. But those are fun goals. <laughs> like, oh. There's not fun goals. Like, it's not like, oh, I'm hitting 500 pounds on squats or, you know, my arms are getting bigger. 
the shirts are fitting better. My pants are fitting better. Those are fun goals, right? Those are goals like, oh, I'm going to look great for summertime. Those are fun goals for a guy who looks physically fit, knocking three minutes off the runtime. That's it. There's no visible reward. Um, it, it becomes a little bit more difficult. It, it's in, You're really getting – you have to be okay with internal gratification rather than outside gratification. Because somebody with fat loss – you're going to hear about it, right? You're going to have people coming up to you. You're going to have people telling you, you look good, this, that, and the other. With the with the more fit guy, increasing his runtime, there is not that. You have to be internally motivated and internally okay with the uh, just your own success without the outside like rewards or um, people boosting you up for, for accomplishing that, which people with weight loss often get. Yeah. Well, no, and for me today – that's a factor because like maintenance and maintaining my weight, it's not, there's really nothing fun about that other than the fact that I go, shit, I made it through another day having eaten what I planned to eat today. That's a big deal. I'm going to pat myself on the back, but you know, years into that, when I'm still running a cycle, basically that's the formula. There are times where I have to sit back and go think about 20 years from now. How do I, how do I get there? It's this kind of thing, putting together way more days like this than the other way. Can I ask, how you got to that mindset? Did you hire coaches? Did you hire trainers? Or did you kind of come up with that mindset on your own? I just failed so many times. And there were so many times where I would wake up fat again and not understand what happened. Go like, I was killing it at weight loss. It was hard, but like, I did it, you know, two months on liquid diet, um, which was like 600 calories a day. And then other periods where it'd be like 45 or 80 days of 500 calories a day and getting the weight off and and then going like, well, that that's it. And then waking up a year later, having gained 100 pounds and going like, what the what's the fucking problem here? Right. And the, the problem was. I just thought it was weight loss. And that's not really my issue because I have no problem losing weight at all. I have real tough time maintaining weight. That's like my lifelong battle really is just like how much fuel does my body need? Don't eat any more, period. That's it. Have you ever thought about getting an outside person to help you with that and keep you on track? Or have you always felt like you need to do this kind of a thing on your own? I've just, I've just been successful now for so many years that I'm like, I don't want to, I, I don't feel like I need anybody at this point. And, and talking to you and talking to other people is, is like basically my therapy. You right. Know yeah. I mean? You get to do it kind of, uh, kind of often. Right. Yeah. But I would say for somebody who's not having these conversations a lot, talking to somebody is super beneficial. Right. So for me, I need I didn't realize it until um, getting out of the military. The military, again, like you said, you have you're having conversations. Content, you're having conversations. You're 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 talking. You're around like-minded people. That physical fitness is is something very important. Keeping the weight off, maintaining all that is very important. When I left that. And I kind of was did my own thing, like you said, moved to moved to San Diego and everything. I didn't have those people around me necessarily. I had club gym people, my clients who I was helping, but I didn't have 
the biggest, baddest ass person above me or around me keeping me going. Right. And I, and I realized I was lacking that. Um, and for me, and I think uh, quite a bit of other people I needed, uh, and I still need that outside voice, outside, uh, opinion, that outside push to really keep me, um, uh, you know, staying focused on my ultimate goals, which is eventually to do competition and stuff and just maintaining it as I get older. And so for me, I, that's why I, I'm a coach. I hired a coach. My coach is a coach. Um, and, and um, we, it's just that community that I actually didn't realize how much I needed. Um, and so I left the military, spent about a year, year and a half doing my own thing. And I was like, dude, I need, I'm plateaued. Like, I'm this, I'm at 220 pounds. My physique's not changing. I'm here. What's going on for me? Like, I've always been pushing myself to the next level. And I kind of realized because dog eat dog world with the community that I was from, I was lacking that. I wasn't having these conversations regularly. I was the person influencing others, but I had nobody influencing me. And that's, and, and that's again, going back to the humble thing, so I had to humble myself. I am, this is not the same world I am coming from. This is a new world where I don't have the outside influence that I'm used to. And I, you know, one of the most nervous things I feel like I've ever done, which is crazy, is reaching out to another human being, another man, and be like, yo, man, I need help with me, which is like, for me, which is very difficult, right? And like I said, my coach, Eddie Brockmontes, amazing guy, I've been learning, been with him for a year now, learning so much from him, taking me to the next level, but he's that outside influence now. He's he, he's that guy who's like, he has the, who has the eye that I don't have when I look in the mirror, right? Yeah. He's the one. Hey, this is a, this, this is what you need to do. He's the one that I do check-ins with every week. And I, throughout the week, I'm like, when I want to cheat, when I want to drink, when I want to do this, and just like my clients uh, with the outside and bad influences, I have to report to him on Sunday, right? I can't report to him three pounds heavier with fat. I can't report to him with no progression, so I kind of was the person, you know, I need that outside influence. Just like my clients need that with me. And, you know, it was very humbling. And, you know, one of, one of a really great decision ultimately, because I went from 220, 230 pounds and in a year got up to around 245, 250 because I was locked in and I was locked in because I had that support system that I was so accustomed to in the military. Yeah, no, I think that's really smart. And I think um, my sobriety works very much in that way, right? I have a sponsor. My sponsor has a sponsor. I have people that I sponsor. And I think in that way, it's like I'm the guy that gets a call from some people who are like, I'm having a really tough day. I'm thinking about drinking. And, and we have a conversation. I have to put on a completely different hat. I have to be like, oh, I am here for you, Right. But then I need that sometimes too. And then the guy that I turn to who then he puts on his hat and he goes, I'm here for you. We're going to figure this out. He needs that too. So I think that, I think it's very smart to do it that way too. Um, I'm actually surprised. I don't, I just don't know about, uh, you know, um, communicating. I guess my wife is really the person who I'm like, listen, I want to go to McDonald's. And she's like, <laughs> shut up lord ass or something like that you know what i mean uh but but 
I wonder who she's talking to. She probably has a friend. I wonder who she's talking to. Does she need somebody too? Yeah. 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 That's fun. I just realized that's something um, that that I, I've always needed. And to take my military, like, because I'm so used to being an aggressive person um, and just h- focusing that military aggression, that strength, that, that, that alpha male mentality and give me direction, right? I have the drive. I just need, I, I, and like I said, I just having that support system, having that person there that I do not want to disappoint, who's taking hours a week with me out of his time to help me. And having that, like, I can't check in on Sunday and be, and regress. And, yeah. that's, and that's honestly the industry I'm in. And that's what helps a lot of my clients. Yeah, that's amazing. Okay, I, I, have, I have one more question for you. Yeah. What is the ideal time to build a woman's butt? The ideal time. Like how we, how we talked about six, four to six months for a kid going into the military. Like if you had to say to somebody and, and again, we'll just take an average American woman and she comes into the gym. What time? I mean, I think it's gotta be longer than four to six months, right? Oh yeah. You're talking like, so obviously the it, it, girls want big butts. That's like, what's in when we were younger, the the slim Paris Hilton pants falling off thing was in. That is not the thing anymore. So every girl, especially in this community, wants a bigger butt. First thing I tell them is like, you're not going to be happy with how much food you have to eat, right? <laughs> like putting size on your butt, you have to think about like most people like 10, 15 pounds to grow your butt. That's actual size. And that's just in that area. You're talking about a year, two years, three years. It's going to be a constant journey, right? Because you have to be eating a lot to put muscle on in the glutes and legs, which are such large muscle groups. My, that is, I, that is actually the hardest, the hardest uh, talk that I have with my female clients. You want that is you're definitely not eating enough. Um, and living in San Diego where it's gorgeous, 10, uh, nine, 10 months out of the year, they don't want to put on um, extra weight. So I'd have to say that is an ongoing process. I don't have the answer for you because I'm still building those girls' butts to this day. They look better. But again, it's one of those things where it's never, they're never going to be perfect. It's never going to be something they like they're satisfied with. So it's just an ongoing thing. And uh, food is the big, the big uh, um, contributing factor to that. For some reason, it really tickles me this idea because like I get panicked if I have to miss a day at the gym and I'm like, my, pecs are going to deflate and my biceps are going to deflate and like this. And I think it's hilarious if there's a a gal out there who's like, I got to get to the gym. My butt's going to deflate. You know, one of my female clients, every single one is like, Oh my God, it's, it's gone away. Like, no, nope. You're it's been five days. You're okay. Like it's, it's, everybody has a mentality, whether it's on your arms or chest or girls, you know, girls, butt. yeah, I will say I, I'm a big fan of straight leg deadlifts. Uh, they're my favorite deadlifts. Um, I, I'm not really great at deficit straight leg deadlifts, but I've seen some gals yeah. do deficit straight leg deadlifts where I'm like, I didn't know the human body could do that back perfectly straight. And they're somehow like way below parallel. And I'm like, I don't understand how these two things are happening at the same time. It's wild. Cause they're thinking about that, butt. right. <laughs> 
their back can't bend. That weight has to be everything. Like my butt has to look good tonight. Yeah. Meanwhile, that's, when I, when I do it, I'm just thinking about my hamstrings and exactly the, yeah. between them and you, because you're not thinking about your ass the entire time. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna maybe change that and try yeah. them. Once you just build that butt. <laughs> Amazing, Trey. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you for having me, Ethan. I really had fun. Thanks for listening to this episode of American Glutton. I'm Ethan Suplee, and as always, joined by my chaperone, Paige Dorian. Follow us on Instagram at American Glutton Podcast. Sincerely. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.